Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And today, our special guest is Jessica Lamb. Jessica is the managing editor here at She Reads Truth, and she is a woman who loves God's Word, knows a lot about God's Word, and has a hand in every reading plan we create. This is a fantastic conversation with our friend Jessica. We think you're going to love it. Let's go. So Jessica, your children are marvels. They are both pretty unique kids, but especially your daughter, Evie, she just turned four. Is that right? Just turned four. Okay. Tell, Tell our people what she asked for for her birthday. Yes. Evie desperately wanted a pencil sharpener. She was given several <laughs> pencils for Valentine's Day. Not a frozen wig. Not a frozen wig. <laughs> she already has a frozen dress, but yes, not a frozen wig. She wanted a pencil sharpener because she has many unsharpened pencils and she wants to be able to use them. I think that is so precious. I feel I like love that's her. And it's not even like one outlying situation like that summarizes that kid, which Agreed. I love. Well, and also, I thought you meant not one outlying situation. The pencils need sharpening. Like, this is an ongoing problem, oh. Mom. And if you give me my own <laughs> Teach sharpener, me to fish. <laughs> I will be able to resolve this problem on my own from here. I think she's that kind of kid, right? She's like, listen, I've thought about this. Absolutely. She's what I need. Yes. And for her birthday, she didn't want you to sharpen all her pencils. No, 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 no. This is an independent situation. She wants to sharpen pencils. And she mentioned it once when she had some colored pencils that needed sharpening. And she's kept mentioning it over and over and over. She would check in and say, I really want that pencil sharpener. I want that pencil sharpener. And now she has one. There you go. Okay, so friends, the voice that you're hearing right now is our friend and the She Reads Truth managing editor, Jessica Lamb. And this is her first time on the pod, which is exciting. Do I say on the pod? I, I don't. I mean, Annie does. Yeah. So I feel like if Annie F. Down says on the pod, we can say on the pod. Annie, I'm saying it. Thanks, Annie. I need your blessing, but I'm also going to say it and wait for your blessing retroactively. So this is Jessica's first time on the pod. We're excited to have her. Jessica, you've been with She Reads Truth, though, for more than two years. Mm-hmm. And it feels kind of fitting that you're sitting down with us to talk Jeremiah, because I think in your interview, one of the big conversations that we had was about prophets, right? Yes, it was. I flew out for an interview and was sitting in Rachel's office. Coming from Colorado. Coming from Colorado, where I previously worked. And the old content director said that you were working on a plan for the Minor Prophets, the first of three series of books on the Minor Prophets. And he said, tell me what you would do. We're having this struggle or this conversation about interactive elements for our community. And I said, I love the prophets. I have a deep affection for the prophets, which I guess is strange, but also it's okay to love God's word. So it's fine. I just think they're great. But a lot of people like the gospels, the Psalms, the Pauline epistles. The prophets aren't like the top three for most folks. Listen, when you're looking for a managing editor for She Reads Truth... And you find someone who is not only completely qualified, but also gets excited about the minor prophets. You've got your girl. You pay attention. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that in all the prophets and the minor prophets and in Jeremiah, you see so much of God's heart and his personality. And he talks a lot about feelings that he has. And it's just a side of him that I think we sometimes feel like just shows up for the first time in Jesus. Yeah. But it's who God is. And he's always God. Right. And so you see it 
throughout the word. And I just, I love those glimpses of who he is that you get throughout the prophets. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a really good segue into what we're reading this week, because when we sat down this morning to hit record on this episode, I was like, I have feelings about this week's reading. And there's a lot of strong language, strong imagery, and a lot of the full spectrum of here's what God is calling his people to, but here's where they are. And here's what we've been talking a lot about how sin separates us from God. So here's what separation from God looks like and feels like. And then this is not just what God's desire is for his people, but what he is promising to bring about in them and through them. And so it really feels a little bit roller coasterish mm-hmm. to me because you get that full range throughout the reading. Here's the funny thing about that. It paints a picture of the dynamic between me and Amanda, because the whole of that conversation, as she and I were sitting down together this morning, I said, you know, do you feel ready? And she said, I have feelings. And I said, hmm, I have like some notes and thoughts, but I'm not at feelings yet. But you were like, I have questions. I have questions. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a funny like, oh, that makes sense. That's how we both have responded to this week's reading. One of my nicknames in the office is Strong Feelings Lamb. And Jessica, so I'm, Strong Feelings Lamb. Yes. So I am with Amanda on having a lot of positive feelings, which maybe is a strange reaction to these passages, but I'm really excited about them. I actually love that about you, Jessica, that you are our strong feelings girl. And so I can't wait to get into that. And the book of Jeremiah is not chronological, so we could start anywhere, but I do like where this week starts. I do like kind of starting in chapter 17, even that like first sentence or two that says, the sin of Judah is inscribed with an iron stylus. With a diamond point, it is engraved on the tablet of their hearts. That's a really intense place to start. And I love that that's where it starts, but it goes somewhere from there. What are y'all in day one of this week, which is, you know, technically day 15, what are y'all seeing in Jeremiah 17? One of the things that I noticed and really loved about this particular day is how we get that picture of how different parts of scripture echo one another. Yeah. This day starts in Jeremiah 17. Let's go down to verse five. This is what the Lord said. Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength and his heart turns from the Lord. It reminds me of, you know, the passage about not trusting in princes, but putting your trust in the Lord. Yeah. But I like the contrast there of like verse seven, The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. Its foliage remains green. I mean, what does that bring to mind? Psalm 1. Yep, Psalm 1, 3. And Isaiah 44. Yeah. Isaiah 44 says, They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. So also super similar. It was interesting to kind of... I mean, I actually had the same thoughts. Y'all, we have not talked about this beforehand because we really wanted this conversation to be fresh. But Amanda, I love that you pointed out all the scriptural connections because even in verse four of chapter 17, it says, you will on your own relinquish your inheritance that I gave you, which makes us think of who? Esau. The, oh, totally. I didn't even think about that. It's interesting how as we become more familiar with scripture, the connections that we learn to make and we find that indeed scripture is a whole. It is one work. Isn't that interesting? It's so fascinating. And even one other piece is that he says in verse 13, the Lord, the fountain of living water, and that tied to what Jesus says in John 4. Yeah. That even here, that's not a new thing that Jesus came up with when he met with the woman at the well. 
it's a deep truth about who God is. Right. It's a deep truth. It's always true about God. And so much of what Jesus said and taught was simply from the scriptures, from his study of the scriptures. This reminds me of a passage in Jeremiah 2 that I actually can't believe that you and I, Rachel, didn't bring up in that episode because it reminds me of a Spurgeon. I don't know if it's like a devotional. I feel like it's probably from morning and evening. There's a devotional book called Morning and Evening by Charles Spurgeon. And Back in uh, Jeremiah 2, verse 13, For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. Oh, wow. That conversation that we had in week one about idols and the futility of them and how they're worthless And then the Lord says through Jeremiah, they're making you worthless. Yeah. But that's what they are. Like we're going to a broken cistern that can't hold water. Mm -hmm. And you juxtapose that with the living water that Jesus gives. And I love that. And so one of the things, Jessica, that one part of Jessica's job is that she helps curate the reading plans that we do as a community. And back when She Reads Truth first started, and we first started to create reading plans where we had a desire to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. I remember thinking, like, we, um, because at the time we had other people, sometimes Rachel and I would do them. Sometimes we would do it, yeah. Um, And then sometimes we would have our pastors pastors do them. Or, But I remember thinking that it was sort of like a treasure hunt of, like, let's find the passage or two that speaks to this passage and pair them in the study book. And now, as the years have gone on and we've continued to read Scripture together, what amazes me and floors me is that there really is almost an endless list of Scriptures that you could put next to one another to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. So when I was reading this Monday reading, for example, I thought, oh, for sure Psalm 1 is going to be in here. Yeah, But it's not because there's only so much room. And it just really speaks to the beauty and complexity and authority of Scripture that we can't predict. You know, like we can't just, oh, well, this pairs with this and that's it. It's all over. There are so many connections. And the more we read and the more we study and the more we come back to passages over and over in our lives, the more we see that. Right. It's beautiful. I also love in Jeremiah as a whole, but even in today's reading, you almost get the sense that God is proving a court case almost is Mm. sort of the vibe that I get as I read this, where there's not a question of whether or not the people are guilty. God over and over again is specifically naming their sins. He's specifically naming the conditions of their heart. Yeah. He's explaining what his goodness is that they've rejected to choose this other path. And I think that sometimes I have a tendency to feel like God's so unknowable or who knows why he does certain things. And so I love in the prophets that he's clear. Yeah. He's very clear. Here's what you've done. Here's what you had. Here's what I offer to you. Here's my goodness and the life that I want for you. But here's what you've done instead. You've engraved these things on your heart. Like you've so deeply adopted and are practicing things that are not what I called you to. Mm -hmm. And he says, I see it. I see that it's not just a mistake you made. It's a deep part of who you are, that you're not pursuing me and your heart's not turned towards me. I noticed that throughout the entire book of Jeremiah, but especially in these readings that he's so clear and he has a strong case against the people. Yeah. 
Did you notice too, I feel like the phrase or the image of us running away from God is Mm -hmm. used over and over that it's not just like, oh, you've turned away from me, but you have run the other way. I mean, it reminds me of Jonah. I feel like Jonah keeps coming up in my mind. Mm -hmm. So read Jeremiah. But not only are you not walking with me, you were like actively walking away and not just walking away, running away. Mm -hmm. And I find that so convicting because I... Do you think there are those times in our lives where the truth is so apparent and there's all this really vivid imagery about God's word and God's truth in Jeremiah that it's like a fire and it's consuming, it demands a reckoning. And of course, it almost feels like those are the choices. You run to or you run away. Mm -hmm. Jessica, I like that you pointed out that God's making this court case against Israel and specifically Judah, but that he's saying like, this is a part of your lives. Like when we go back to that verse one that I read, the sin of Judah is inscribed with an iron stylus with a diamond point. It is engraved on the tablet of their hearts. I know I read it once and I'm reading it again because to me, like, yes, that is about Judah and yes, it is about God. And yeah, it's about me too. The way that you described, like, yes, there are sins, but we also, as sinners, we make it a way of life sometimes, and it becomes a part of who we are, a fabric of our actual heart. Exactly. And for God to be that direct and that clear, and also the loving kindness of God to go to Judah, come to us, and tell us about our sin, and not just fully forsake us, but to send a prophet like Jeremiah and really relentlessly require of Jeremiah. It's interesting to read this book and see how many times Jeremiah is like, I wish the Lord would let me stop prophesying. I don't want to be a part of this anymore, he even says. I think he even goes so far as to say, like, I wish that I hadn't been born. Like, this is hard work. But the Lord pursues Judah and the Lord pursues us even when the sin is just engraved on our hearts. Exactly. And I think throughout the whole book, the metaphors that God gives us to talk about how he feels and what's happening in this relationship, it's it's not a cop giving you a speeding ticket because you've broken a rule and they're disappointed in you. Yeah. He talks about sons and fathers and marriage with repeated adultery. I mean, thinking about our lives, those are some of the strongest and deepest relationships that we understand as people that we have in our lives. So to imagine the betrayal in those terms, not just, hey, there were a set of rules. You knew what they were. You've broken them. Goodbye. Goodbye. Or here's your citation. You've disappointed me. It's so much deeper than that. It's Mm -hmm. this breaking and moving away from a relationship that is and should be so beautiful. And the sin is not just disappointment. It's so much deeper. Jessica, I love that because it makes me think of what we talked about and studied so much in Genesis when we talked about covenants. Our covenant with God is different than a human relationship or a promise or an agreement where we say, you know, this is mine and this is yours. A covenant with God is I am yours and you are mine. It's so different. Like you said, it's relationship. Yeah, so that reminds me of the key verse for the book of Jeremiah. We talked about it in week one, and I'll read it again. But first, we get sort of a prelude to that in this week's reading in Jeremiah 24, verse 7. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, because they will return to me with all their heart. And the key verse, which will come in the book of comforts, as we talked about in week one, is Jeremiah 31, 33 about covenant. Listen to this. Instead, 
This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So it's that. It's the I am yours and you are mine. But look at that. Like, look at how... I mean, we're talking about how scripture correlates with scripture. Like, look at how that key verse is the converse of chapter 17, verse one that I keep reading over and over again. God's saying, your sin is inscribed on your heart. It's permanent. But here's something that's even better. I'm going to actually inscribe the new covenant, my law on your heart. That's the connection that just blows my mind and blesses my soul. Like, but it's Mm -hmm. true. It's here's the thing that is true about you. And I'm going to tell you something that's even better. Hey friends, Hannah here. Have you ever considered trying out our She Reads Truth subscription box? We're giving our podcast listeners a special discount for 15% off your first box. All you have to do is head on over to shopshereadstruth.com slash box and enter the code box15 at checkout. Sign up once and then have a plan to read the word of God every day. Jessica, it's what you're saying, that God is pointing out our sin and not like a traffic cop, but in a relationship, in a covenant and saying, this is what is true, but I'm God. Mm -hmm. And what is true about your heart, how your sin is engraved on it, no one can do this but God, but God can come and engrave a new covenant on their hearts and you will be my people and I will be your God. There is no one on earth that can do that. No traffic cop, no judge, no best friend, no spouse. But God can do that. And Jessica, when you say we miss out on some of the character of God when we don't read the prophets, look what we're learning about him. Look what we're learning about the way that he is clear and direct and unflinching in naming our sin and how he is reinscribing our hearts with life. Exactly. And I think the other part of it that we see in the book of Jeremiah is that that relationship gives us an openness in how we talk to God. And one of the things that we haven't talked about yet is one of the readings on day 17, where Jeremiah is so frank and so honest with God about how he feels about his calling. God has spoken to him and basically said, hey, I want you to go to your people in your town. I want you to go to the other priests and the prophets and tell them what I feel about what they've done and who they are, and call out their sin. And that's a pretty big calling. And I really like that on day 17 in Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah basically says to God, I don't like this. I don't like what you've asked me to do. Mm -hmm. I don't take joy in telling my people about this. And I'm upset. I don't want to talk about you anymore. And he's so real to God. Can we read this kind of longer passage? I have a ton of exclamation points next to this because it also stuck out to me where like Mm -hmm. Jeremiah is being beaten for preaching in the temple. Exactly. About God. he was a priest. Yes. He was a priest. So these are people that, I don't know if Jeremiah has worked alongside the priests that are named here, but they're distant colleagues at least. Right. It says the priest, the son of Immer, the chief official in the temple of the Lord heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. So Peshur had the prophet Jeremiah beaten and put him in stocks at the upper Benjamin gate in the Lord's temple. Wow. Not he wow was my answer to that. I mean, it's (laughs) the Pharisees with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, and here's what Jeremiah says to God about this calling and what he's been asked to preach. This is Jeremiah 20, starting in verse seven. 
You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You seized me and prevailed. I am a laughingstock all the time. Everyone ridicules me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I proclaim violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has become my constant disgrace and derision. I say, I won't mention him or speak any longer in his name, but his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in and I cannot prevail. There's more there, but that part even in particular, I mean, he's, there's heartbreak and anger and it's real. And I'm just so compelled by it, his honesty. But that last part where he's going, Lord, this is too much, too hard, too shameful even for me. And then the second half of verse nine, but his message becomes a fire burning in my heart, Mm -hmm. shut up in my bones. I become tired of holding it in and I cannot prevail. He cannot resist sharing the Lord's message and salvation with the people. In Jeremiah, we not only get a picture of God and his character, but we get this really compelling and clear image of God's word and the power of God's word and truth itself and how, because that is what that exact verse brought to mind for me. But also you keep going in verse 11, but the Lord is with me like a violent warrior. And then he keeps going down a couple of verses later in verse 13, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he rescues the life of the needy from evil people. Look at the range of emotion. And it's like, this is super hard. I am being treated as a disgrace. I am being physically abused. But God, your message and your word is like, it's to endure what Jeremiah is enduring is the better alternative to not giving voice to this message that God has given him to portray to the people. But that he worships at the end, like that he he goes from, this is horrible too, but I can't not share your word, but this is really hard, but the Lord is with me. Sing to the Lord. Right. The singing is very Paul and Silas. Like here I am. I'm in chains. This sort of like living my worst life, but also like, yeah. you know, I mean, they, they don't say that. I'm for sure here. <laughs> but like, it's like this, I'm not in a good place, but God, like. Yeah. Well, and I know this has come up on the podcast a few different times, but it's so true, especially in the prophets. I think about when Peter says to Jesus, to whom else would we go? Where else would we go? It's that same thing here that this is hard. It's not easy always. Calling is not always happy, comfortable, lucky, comfortable. In the world, we tend to think about calling, like, if I do what God told me to do, I will have success. I will have a huge ministry full of people. But the truth is obedience requires sacrifice. Yes. And that obedience is the goal, not outcomes, right? It's obedience to what God's called us to do, regardless of whether or not it's a success in our eyes or in the world's eyes. That obedience is the marker of success Mm -hmm. unto itself. It's doing that thing that God called you to do. And so, yeah, I just think about that with Jesus and with Peter, that even if this is not what I thought it would be, and even if it's hard, where else would I go? Because this is living water. This is life. Mm -hmm. Because the choice has become clear to Peter in that moment, right? And if we keep going in this very passage that we're in, and we go to verse... I'm going to try and work Peter into every episode. I mean, I think we should. He's Amanda's favorite. He's my favorite. Oh, if we keep going, so now this is Jeremiah 21, but listen to 21.8. But tell this people, this is what the Lord says. Look, I am setting before you the way of life and the way of death. I mean, 
you were talking earlier about uh, Rachel about the gift, the kindness of God to say what needs to be said. It reminds me too of earlier. I think it's in the Monday reading where the heart is deceitful above all things. Mm-hmm. I mean that's super clear. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is so clear. We've got the way of life and the way of death. And in this book, and even in this week's reading, we get a pretty stark picture of the way of death. Yeah. And what separation from God looks like, and what the consequences of that is and it's ugly and it's hard to read some of these passages are hard to read yeah even in that passage that you just read amanda here in jeremiah it's not even just a figurative life and death right in this passage the babylonians are coming they are besieging the people and what jeremiah is saying is don't listen to what the leaders here are telling you will bring you life what they're saying is take up arms fight against this and Jeremiah is speaking from the Lord saying, the way of life here is different than that. It's to lay down your swords. It's a different thing. It's to leave the city. Yeah, this is practical instruction. It's practical instruction. And there's a spiritual reality to that practical instruction because he's saying, I can tell you what life is and you need to trust me. This is different than maybe what you've been told. And it isn't always, if you think about the figurative application and the spiritual application, I was struck by the presence of the enemy, the spiritual enemy, mm-hmm. you know, the capital E enemy in these readings that I I am so quick to forget that that is a reality. It even sent me to Ephesians 6 to just be reminded, and I hadn't read this passage in a while. It'd been a little bit since I've been in Ephesians, but Ephesians 6, where Paul's talking about the armor of God. And let's see, let's start in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. And you know, it keeps going. This was an actual flesh and blood struggle that... Judah was in, but it was more than that. And it's the same with us. Like there are practical applications to God's instruction. Also, there's a very real reality that we are also in a battle Mm -hmm. and that there is one who is out to destroy us. Mm -hmm. And it's part of the great hope of the message of the gospel that Christ has defeated death, that that is the last enemy to be destroyed, but he is destroyed. Mm And in this instance, the spiritual battle that's happening, the people in Judah are on the wrong side. God has raised up the Babylonians to do a thing. And he's telling them, if you stand with these leaders, they're not actually on the right side. And something that's so fascinating about this week's reading is you see that over and over where the people that Jeremiah thought were representing God are actually not. There's all of this language about false prophets and the prophets are preaching peace, peace, peace. And I think it's back in chapter four where Jeremiah says to God, basically, oh no, the message you're giving me is not what you told everybody else. Yeah. And I'm mad at you. I'm paraphrasing scripture. He basically says to God, in not so many words, how dare you give me this message when you gave someone else a message of peace? You're confusing. You've given us two different things. And what God says back in chapter four, and he says it elsewhere too, throughout this whole reading is, 
those prophets were not speaking for me. Right. They are not sharing a word that I gave them. Yeah, you see that in Jeremiah 23 on day 18 too, Jessica. In verse 16, it says, this is what the Lord of Armies says. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They are deluding you. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the Lord's mouth. They keep on saying to those who despise me, the Lord has spoken. You will have peace. They have said to everyone who follows the stubbornness of his heart, no harm will come to you. I can understand why Jeremiah is going like, but really, like, I actually would love to be able to give that message. But there's actually a number of layers deeper than that, too. Not just the strong warning for the people of Judah, but I can't help but let that be a continuing warning to us, you know, to be aware of the false prophets who are just saying like, peace, peace, no harm will come to you. Well, Rachel, I'm over here like air high-fiving you because it feels like the perfect tee up to your favorite passage. Oh, 2 Timothy Timothy. 4? Yes, because it's... Peace, peace. That sounds like God, right? Mm-hmm. Like God is a God. You know, I want to read that every episode that we record well, ever. Can I read it today? It. I feel like you really have to at this point. I yes. happen to have it bookmarked. <laughs> We're all surprised. <laughs> yeah, I'll read that because you're right. It's right in there. My goodness. Scripture interprets scripture, you guys. I love it. Okay. Second Timothy chapter four. I did not plan to read this, but I'll read it anytime I'm given the opportunity. Verse 3 especially, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And that's what we're doing here, is that we believe that we should be reading the Word of God, because at the end of the day, people are responsible for what they teach us, and we should have mentors and leaders and pastors, and it's an important part of being in Christian community. But it's also important that we're checking that what we're being taught is what God has told us. Yes. We have access to God in this new covenant, in this new relationship, in all these things we're talking about. We have access to God. He can speak to us. We have his word. And so we don't have an excuse at the end of the day to step back and say, well, so-and-so told me this, right? they'll be held responsible for what they teach. But also we have the word of God that we can read for ourselves and we can learn from him about what his heart is and what he says. I love this so much for so many reasons. One, yes, we cannot just be listening to what other people say about God and his word and trusting that they are in the word. It is our responsibility, our duty, our right and our privilege to be in the Word and to be learning and knowing for ourselves. But it brings me back to, I think, chapter 17, 9, where it says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? So the second thing that as you were talking, I was thinking, yes, the heart is deceitful. It's incurable. But what do we do about that? Do we just sit back and go, like, well, you know, like there are so many hilarious things about that verse because it's very not follow your heart. And I am regularly tempted to Jesus juke people who say that, well, the heart is deceitful above all else, actually. But here's the cure for it. It is uncurable, but know the Bible. What can we check our hearts against? We can check our hearts against the truth of God's word. Mm -hmm. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Exactly. I mean, the word is living and active because the word was with God from the beginning. And the word is Jesus. And Jesus has given us his spirit. Like this is the full reality. If we let our hearts shape us, What a mess we will be if we let the people who just speak over us and into us shape us. Boy, I hope that works out. But if we let the truth of the word and the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, the word made flesh shape us. That's the thing. When we acknowledge that our heart and the world are deceitful above all else, that we let the word shape us. And I love all this conversation about hearts because we also have an Ezekiel 36 
where God says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the beautiful thing is that yes, the heart is deceitful. The heart is wicked. We can't just trust our own hearts, but we can trust the heart that God's giving us and the way that God is shaping us to be more like him. I love the glimpses of redemption that we get in Jeremiah that we've had in this conversation where this book is pointing us to Jesus. It's amazing. Every week of Jeremiah, we get into it and I'm intimidated and just going like, oh, I don't know what to expect here. And then we get here and like, oh, Lord, you're here. Also, your word is here. The connections to your word. It's beautiful. I'm just, I'm surprised and delighted by this week and the weeks past. Even in this week's reading in Jeremiah 23, we get a prophecy of the Messiah. A favorite messianic prophecy. Yes. And it's so look at verse five. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. How about how often the book says this is the Lord's declaration? I mean, I started to underline and then I was like, oh, I'll be underlining so much. Just it's like, let's just highlight the whole page. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So verse five, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will raise up a righteous branch for David, he will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. I mean, praise hands in the air. I just have Jesus exclamation point written next to it in my margin. <laughs> I have a few of the, me too, actually. Look, look Jesus. at us. Yeah. I mean, that's what scripture itself says. You know, Jesus says that the prophets are talking about him and it's so beautiful. We're trying, you know, just have this image of us. We're kind of wading through Jeremiah and it sometimes feels a little bit like walking through mud. You know, you're like, whoa, this is heavy. This is tough. And then you get to a passage like that and you're like, oh, this is about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I also love that probably any group of three girls who sat down or boys or whoever, you know, sat down to just like have conversations about this week in the book of Jeremiah. And I hope that around the world this week, that's happening. I hope that people are gathering and like talking about what they're reading because my goodness, it helps to talk through it. But I imagine that this is happening everywhere, that as our listeners and as our readers are going through these chapters of Jeremiah, they're finding what we're finding. They're seeing these scriptural connections. They're excited and writing Jesus in the margin of their books or their Bibles. It's just fun to imagine that, yeah, there are three of us here, but my goodness, I even just like want to encourage you guys, you listeners, by the end of this week, you will be halfway through our time in the book of Jeremiah, which way to go. Like this is exciting. And it's a book that we wouldn't typically raise our hands to go through. But when we go through it together, it's so rich and beautiful. I also kind of hope that when people get together, if they are getting together, that's how I imagine it, that when people get together, that maybe they're also ending their time together with beauty, goodness, and truth. Do you think people ask each other that now? You know, I don't know, but now I want to just sort of start asking random people, yeah. Where or are you not seeing random people, maybe just like my kids. People who are yeah. who wouldn't be intimidated or afraid for you to <laughs> approach like, them. Hello, stranger in line at Walgreens. Where are you <laughs> seeing beauty, goodness, yeah. and truth in your yeah. everyday life? But we do get to do it here, and it's one of my favorite parts of each episode. And Jessica, this will be your first time participating in Beauty, Goodness, and Truth. My but first Beauty, Goodness, do and you, Truth. Are you prepared? Do you have a thing? I am prepared. Yeah, you, of course she is. She's Guys, Jessica Lamb. Jessica's always prepared. It's, one of, our, it's one of the things we love about her. Wow, thank you. One of the many. So in addition to my daughter who asked for a pencil sharpener, I also have 
a son who is six months old and he is beginning to eat solid foods and you know solids it's pureed mush but it is so lovely and beautiful and good to watch him discover flavor and watch him react to carrots or mangoes or apples he hates all of them so far but (laughs) it's just something that I love because it reminds me oh flavor is good and different and it's not something that is required of our food but it's a gift from God it's a gift from God that we have different flavors and textures and that milk is not the only thing we have to drink I love that. I feel like we're going to need some video of faces, Milo faces. It also feels so biblical. I mean, we start with the spiritual mm. milk and then the solid food. I mean, that's your boy, Milo. That's my boy, solid Milo. Solid food. I love it. Amanda, do you have anything today? I do. We love music in our home, but I've recently been introduced to an artist named Jess Ray, and there's a song of hers that is really hauntingly beautiful that I just keep coming back to. It's called Gallows. And the imagery is strong. So I don't know. We may not all love it, which is fine. But we were talking earlier about the reality of spiritual warfare and that there is an enemy. And so there's a line in the chorus that says, the devil is going to hang from his own gallows. But the way she sings it, like her voice and like the production, it sounds kind of echoey and beautiful. And it's just like, oh, the battle is ongoing. And also the battle is won. Yeah. And I've just been finding so much beauty, not only in her voice is incredible, the production is beautiful, but just this like, it's kind of a grotesque image, but it's also the thing that's so beautiful and good and true about it to me is the finality of it. Mm-hmm. That like this matter is settled. Yeah. And wow. I just found a lot of encouragement in that song recently. We'll link to it for you. I love that. All right, Ray, what you got? Well, you can count on me for a deep beauty, goodness and truth. No, I really count on you for like, what do I need to eat for dinner tonight? Well, you don't want to eat this. Okay, good. <laughs> I have found delight this week in eucalyptus. Uh, Specifically, I like the silver dollar eucalyptus, like the flat ones, not the little stacky kind, because there's two, there's probably more than two kinds, but I like the silver dollar eucalyptus. I think it's beautiful. I think the, the particular shade of green that eucalyptus brings to my home really makes me happy. I like how inexpensive it is. You can pick it up at Trader Joe's for a dollar or so and just put it in a vase and it's green and it's not imposing, but it brings a nice aroma and a good color. Does the silver dollar, does it have a smell? Because, you know, the stacky one, for lack of it's a not, better term, <laughs> it has a pretty distinct and It's not as smell. pungent, but it does have a good smell. I've heard people say that you can crack a couple of leaves and put them on the floor of your shower and enjoy a smell. I've tried that. It has not worked for me. I wish it would. kind of want to try it anyway. I know. It feels like a really like delightfully bougie thing to do. Well, let me get my eucalyptus for my shower. <laughs> but uh, so far, it has not worked for me. But in my home, in a vase, it just makes me so happy. And it's such an inexpensive little joy. And we're just all hanging on for spring. I mean like, it. We're so close. I mean it. And so just getting that little bit of green in my house makes a big difference for me. Agreed. Well, speaking of spring, I don't want us to forget where we're headed with this study. We are headed for Holy Week and Resurrection Sunday and hopefully some flowers and sunshine and greenery outside. But yeah, we're headed for the story of all stories. 
And so I'm excited. I'm proud of us for making it almost halfway. It's a good lead up, though. I do not regret this lead up. Yeah. It feels right. Same. I do not regret it. This has been so rich so far, and I know we're only halfway through. Okay, so Jessica, one thing that we do for the Lent series specifically, everyone who has the book knows that we... um, do the, you know, at the end of each week, a confession and an assurance. It's a rhythm of Lent, more specific to Lent than to Jeremiah, but for sure it has relevance to Jeremiah as well. But it's just this moment to kind of stand as an individual and to link arms with the capital C church by reading something that has been read over centuries to stand and confess our sin. You don't have to physically stand, don't worry. And then not to end there but to find from Scripture an assurance of our pardon in Christ. And I said your name, Jessica, before I started saying that, because I would love, I think it's sweet when the guest gets to read the assurance of pardon. I would love that. So I'll read this week the Confession of Sin from the Book of Common Prayer. It's the same one we read every week. Wherever you are, read along, pray along, listen along, if you like. This is just beautiful. It says, Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And Jessica, the assurance from Scripture. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Isaiah 53, 5. Do you believe this is true? I do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Y'all, come back next week. We're loving this study with you. Until next time, Jessica, what do we say? Keep opening your Bibles. Keep opening your Bibles.